So we began last week talking about the substance of a strong church and really Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is a day when we don't need less church, we need more church. I know there's a lot of churches out there that are canceling their Sunday night services, canceling their midweek services, having a get-together on Sunday morning, or maybe having a Bible study throughout the week, and I'm all for all those things, but we got to be sure that we're keeping the main thing the main thing, and we're keeping our mind and hearts set on the day when Jesus is going to come back. And he want, we want to, the day when he comes, we want to be found busy doing the work that he called us to do. And that is a church is reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we don't need to be shutting down and, and closing things up. We need to be doing more, that more and more, and so much more until we see the Lord come back again. Amen? Amen. Now, hey, even so, Lord, come quickly. Yeah, I'm tired too. I'm wore out. And, and you know what? We've been busy in these last month and a half. There's been a lot going on here at Hunt Valley Baptist Church. And we've been going from one thing to the next. And I just am humbled and, and so grateful for the church family and your uh, investment in the Lord's work and your pursuit of the things of God. And it's a testimony uh, to the world and to others, uh, your desire to serve the Lord. And I praise the Lord for that. We want to talk and have a strong church. We began last week with looking at the idea of synergy. A church that's going to be strong is built and has synergy. You know that we are one body and we're to work together. We are to accomplish the work of God together. And looked at the idea of a joint uh, being uh, you know, a problem and it was just one joint of your body and the whole body hurts. The whole body suffers and that a church that's unified and moving together in, with one focus and one direction to accomplish one purpose can accomplish so much more for God. The idea that synergy builds energy and you can accomplish and do things you would never think possible on your own. But when you have people, I'll tell you what, that lady sing, uh, me and a couple of guys couldn't have done that meal that we were able to serve for you. Why, why was it possible? Because there were so many men that came and worked together to make it happen. Everybody doing different parts and everybody accomplishing these different things. And, and Brother Armacost was here and would put on the sink and wash dishes for five hours. Amen. Uh, just each person doing what he could for the, for, to, to make it happen. And that's how it happens. And that's what synergy does for a work of the Lord. We are to be uh, working together. And we looked at that and kind of got a little bit too long on it probably. But secondly, this evening, we want to look at the idea of sincerity. Sincerity, a church that's going to be strong, is going to be built up with people that are sincere in their faith. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 17 I'm sorry, 15 says, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. There's a way in which God's people ought to behave themselves. Amen. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar in the ground of truth. Now, I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. Join heirs with Jesus, cleansed by his blood. I'm thrilled that I get to say I'm part of the family of God. I'm also thrilled that we at Hunt Valley Baptist Church have a family atmosphere. It's not just something that, well, we're part of the family of God, but it's something that's prevalent and evident in this place. People that come here all the time, they talk about the idea, they're grateful and enjoy the family atmosphere. That they came in and they felt like they were coming home. They came in and they were welcomed and greeted and, and joined to be part of the family. We, by God's grace, we don't want to ever be a place where there's this little group over here and they, they've got their clique and, and they're, they're whatever. They're the, the organist and pianist, you know, musicians are a little different anyway. But you got them over here and you got the, the oh, well, we're teachers and we got the teacher group over here. 
here, or we're ushers, or we're security, we get to carry guns, amen? So, well, you guys can have your own group, but the rest of us, we want, we want, to, we want the unity, we want all to be together, and we don't want to be separated out. It's sincerity, it's a family atmosphere, a church that has that true love for one another, true family love. Listen, I know we're called brothers and sisters, but do we really treat each other like that? I know that we're a part of the household of faith, but do we really have a church home here? That's what we need to have. A strong church is built on these things. 1 Timothy 5, verse 1 or 2 says, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, and the younger as sisters with all purity. You see, there's that, that again, that family relationship that brother and sister in Christ. It's not just something we just say, hey, brother Andrew. It's not something we just say, hey, brother uh, or sister. It's, there ought to be that relationship, that family relationship, that sincere love for one another. We talked about this today in Sunday school about the idea of families today being so dysfunctional that many people don't even understand what that family relationship is. There's people that are closer to their church family here at Hunt Valley Baptist Church than they are to what would be their natural born family. Because their natural born family does not follow the Lord or they don't know Jesus Christ. And there's something that happens when you begin to pursue Christ and do what God wants you to do. You don't have to separate from the world and these things. When you just start to do right, the world will separate from you. And that's what happens sometimes. And so you become oftentimes closer to your church family than even the, the, the lost family that, that, listen, that you love them, you care for them, but you're not going the same direction. You don't have the same focus in life. You're not trying to pursue or accomplish the same things. And so no longer is that sweet fellowship there because you're looking for different things. And in the family of God, in the house of God, there ought to be that sincere concern for one another. A strong family where there's genuine, genuine concern. First Thessalonians 4 verses 9 and 10 says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are in all of Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Paul's saying, hey, here's your testimony. You've got a testimony of being a loving church. You've got a testimony so much so that people say, boy, those, those, they love all the brethren. Paul said, good job. Now do a little more. Good job, now do a little better. How many of you think we could do a little better? I mean, we've got room to improve. If you get to the place where you think you don't have any room to improve, you've got some other problems. We've all got some area where we can be strengthened, where we can improve, where we can, you know, some fields that need some tending that we might have let go a little while. And uh, this is one, that, that sincere love and concern for one another. It ought to be there, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse number 3. And I hope you're jotting these down because I know I'm not giving you time to turn. We are bound uh, to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet because that your faith groweth exceedingly and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Charity, that love, that love of all, one toward another, it just abounds. We must give ourselves, beloved, to the building of this family relationship. How can you build, help build the family relationship? Can I say you need to prolong your departure? 
What I'm saying is don't be one of these members that as soon as we bow our heads and say, okay, let's close in prayer. When we finish praying, you're already at the door. You need to prolong your departure. We're talking about building a family relationship. That means take a few minutes and spend a little bit of time. Now, I know sometimes you got things to do. you got places to go. I know life is busy and, and you know, you got reservations or whatever it might be. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not getting on to you, but it ought not be every single service. That as soon as we pray, you're out the door and gone. I've got to chase you down in the parking lot to say, hey, how was your week? I mean, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, I was standing in the foyer this whole time. How did they get past me? (laughs) I'm like, there's some secret door that I don't know about. You guys are all hiding from me. You're like, you find a way. Here's how you want to get out of the church without seeing pastor. You go right, right this way, you know. I mean, I'm standing in the foyer. I'm trying to make sure I greet and, and welcome everybody or say goodbye to everybody. And somehow you guys get out the door without me. I'm like, where, how did that happen? I was watching. Now I know I get talking to somebody and you guys sneak behind me. Uh, but it's not just about me. It's talking to one another. It's having the family. You want to have a strong church. A strong church is a church that has family relationships. It has that strong bond. And you build that by spending time with one another. Invest in each other. The staff here are are supposed to be among the first to be here and the last to leave. Why? Because ministry is people. And if you don't want to be around people, you shouldn't be in the ministry. That's, That's what ministry is. Ministry is people. And you've got to take time with people. You've got to invest in their life. So we're, we're here, and I'm not saying everybody's got to be here as long as the staff or the Normans. <laughs> you guys don't have, not, everybody doesn't have to hang out that long. We all want to go home sometime. I'm just saying, let's not make it a race to the door, amen? Let's spend a little bit of time with one another and be a church that, that enjoys fellowshipping and talking and, and loving, loving each other a little bit. Could I tell you another way to uh, build this family relationship is participate in church functions. You know, we just had this ladies' tea, and I'm not, I don't even know who was there and who wasn't and who could be or can't be and what's going on in people's lives. I know you can't be at everything. We, we got too much stuff going on for you to be at everything. I know that. But you ought to try and be at something. You ought to try and participate in the opportunities that are available for you to mix with other people. You know, we're having this supper with the shepherd. Open up uh, the pastor's home and having you over for a meal. And we had it where every group is coming to the house twice. The reason we do that is because I know sometimes, man, boy, I would love to go to pastor's house tonight, but my son called and, you know, his wife's having a baby and I got to get to the hospital. I understand you missing it for that. But if, if it's because the Ravens are playing, I mean, come on. You should not be putting the Ravens game over dinner at pastor's house. The Ravens are going to win or lose another time. You can see them again later. And you can DVR it or whatever they do today. You can watch it anytime you want, and you know you can. So you're like, ah, but it's not live. It doesn't matter. I, you, need to have, you need to adjust your priorities. Spend some time with God's people. It's an opportunity to get together. Come on over. Spend some time. It's, it's, it's put there for you. We've made an opportunity. Participate in those things that are available for you. Whatever it might be, Roundup Sunday, uh, you know, Faith in Blue Sunday, come out, hang out, meet the officers a little while. Just whatever things the church is doing, try and participate as you can. That builds a strong church, and we want to have a strong church. Amen? Amen. Could I encourage you to practice hospitality? 
And I'm not going to spend much time here. I preached an entire message just on hospitality not too long ago. And uh, you guys know what that is. And you guys know that I encourage that and would want you to do it. Invite other people over to your house. There's something special about opening your home to somebody else. And uh, bring them over. Spend some time with them. That means a lot to them. Practice some hospitality. You know, you would be shocked. I mean, some of you live a long ways from here. And in your mind, you're like... Nobody's going to drive all the way to my house. You know, our house used to be 32 miles one way to, to, to our house. And uh, I thought, well, I'm sure many people have stuff to do today. Um, and it's last minute. So as I closed the service on a Sunday morning some years ago, I said, hey, anybody that doesn't have plans for lunch today, you're welcome to come to my house for lunch. And it's 32 miles one way. I thought, we aren't going to have that many people. How many people do we have? 66 66 people drove 32 miles. I didn't even tell them we were grilling. I mean, I didn't tell them that was what we were eating. What I'm saying is you'd be surprised if you opened up your home, who would be willing to drive to come and spend some time with you? And uh, so practice some hospitality. That will build the church. Uh, Lastly, on this thing of sincerity, I'm just going to throw this out. I think that there is a need for sincerity that would be without hypocrisy. Sincerity. If we're going to have a strong church, we need people that are sincere in their faith. Sincere in their faith. Not just sincerely love one another, but sincere in what we believe and practice. Those familiar verses, Joshua 24, 14 and 15. He says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Serve him in sincerity. Listen, you don't have to be a perfect Christian. None of us are. But can you be sincere? Can you just be real? Just be, here, here's what God wants, and I'm just to the best of my ability, this is what I want to be, and I want to serve God, and I want to be this person. Well, the, the world, and quite frankly, the church, has had enough of hypocrisy. If we're going to have a strong church, man, we, we've got to have sincere Christians. Sincere Christians, just practicing sincere faith. He goes on in verse number 15, he says, choose you this day. He's saying one way or the other. Either you're going to serve God or you're going to serve the world. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I hope at Hunt Valley Baptist Church, by and large, and I know Satan tempts us and pulls us away and we battle the world and the flesh and the devil, but I hope by and large your heart's desire is that you would be sincere in your faith. That it's not just coming in here on Sunday morning with a Bible under your arm and saying, oh, oh, yeah, I'm a good Christian. When you know in your heart there's a lot there that shouldn't be there. Oh, we might come in with our Bible under our arm and we might say, I know I'm a weak Christian. I know that I'm a struggling Christian. To the best of my ability, I want to be a sincere Christian. I just, I just want to honor God and do my best to never bring shame to the glory of Jesus Christ. If we're going to have a strong church, we need sincerity. In Corinthians, those books written to the carnal church of Corinth, four out of the seven times that the word sincerity is used in the scriptures, it was written to the church of Corinth. Like he was addressing them and saying, you know what? You guys need to get sincere. You need to be real. 
Then thirdly, we need sacrifice, sacrifice. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 12, he's talking about the, the uh, temple of God and, and the uh, worship. And he says to them, he says, and they shall come from the cities of Judah and from the places of Jerusalem and from the land of Benjamin and from the plain and from the mountains and from the south, bringing offerings and sacrifices and meat offerings and incense and bringing sacrifices of praise unto the house of the Lord. Listen, the house of God really ought to be a place where we come and sacrifice for him. That we sacrifice for our Lord and Savior. Your Christianity was made possible because of a sacrifice that was given to you. It was that great sacrifice of our Lord and Savior that purchased our redemption. He went to the cross for us. And if we're going to be like him, we will be, we'll be people that are familiar with sacrifice. Beloved, as the truth of what Christ has done for us settles down into our heart, we'll get very willing to sacrifice. We know that the Bible says it's reasonable. It's reasonable. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living, what? Sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You see, beloved, what God calls and asks of us, we would come to the place that we realize that it's reasonable. That we realize it's reasonable. It's really not too hard what God has asked of us. Instead of having an attitude of, God, I can't believe why you would demand that of me. We get the attitude of, Lord, what more can I do for thee? Is there anything more that I can do? God has not and never will ask too much of you. If he took all that we have, he's already blessed us today beyond measure. Let me say to you, it's not a sacrifice to give up sin. I know sometimes we look at that and we think about it. We say, boy, you know, I gave this up for God. It's never a sacrifice to give up sin for God. That's a blessing. That's a benefit. That's, that's praise in ground right there. That's, that's not, it's not a sacrifice to give those things up. In and through the power of God, you can be freed from that sin instead of being in bondage to it. But there is no victory. There is no satisfaction, really. There is no greater joy in the Christian life without sacrifice. For, beloved, it really truly is that in the second mile that we see joy. It's not in the first mile. Everybody goes the first mile because that's what's required of them. But if a man compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. That is where we really put our Christianity on display. That is where we really get the opportunity to test our faith. You know, our faith is not tested unless there's a storm. Our willingness to be patient is not tested until there's a cause for us to exercise patience. Our love for one another is is not displayed when things are going good and when everybody's here patting each other on the back. Our true love for one another is displayed when things aren't going good and you get a call at three in the morning and somebody says, can you come and help me? I'm broken down on the side of the road. 
You say, call me back at 9 a.m. and I'll be glad to. Amen. <laughs> no, see, that's when you get the opportunity. And, and literally, if you have a right heart, you'll look at it as an opportunity. The Bible says that a brother is born for adversity. The time of trial, the time of test, the hardship, those times when it's not convenient, when somebody calls and it's most inconvenient for you, you ought to look at it and say, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to show my Christianity to somebody else. That my faith is real and my love for Christ is real and I can go at this time and make a difference in somebody's life. And can I tell you what? It'll be something that they will never forget. I forgot all about it. We just went to the funeral for Brother Walter Vance. Lord help me. My mind just went blank. I'm, it's Lydia. Laverne. I, I couldn't remember her name. Laverne. She, she took me by the hand and said, thanks for coming. But she introduced me to several people there. And I had forgot all about this. I didn't even remember doing it. She says, you know, Pastor, I remember when Walter went in for surgery and you stood there at the hospital by his side when he came out of that surgery and finally woke up you were the first person he saw you stood there with him and she said I'll never forget that thank you I had forgotten all about it I didn't even, I didn't even remember doing it it's not surprising is it <laughs> What I'm saying is you take opportunities like that, you impact lives. And it might not be convenient, but that's when you make a difference when it's not convenient. That's when your Christianity is put on display, when you get into the second mile and you do sacrifice for others. Hebrews 13, verse number 16 says, But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. God's pleased when we sacrifice and do good. Amen? Amen. A strong church has many people that are just waiting for God to say, Here. And you respond and do it. You're willing to sacrifice whatever God would ask of you. The place that a mature patrician gets to, you see, when you first get saved, you start by accepting his sacrifice for you. But then you, as a babe in Christ, you become willing to sacrifice for him. But as you grow in Christ, you get to the place where you want to sacrifice for him. And as you do so, you learn by experience that God is debtor to no man. And it seems like the more you sacrifice for him, the more he does for you. And you just sit in awe of your great and majestic Lord. A strong church has people that are willing and ready to sacrifice. Fourthly, submission. A strong church is going to have people that are submitted to God and his will. You know that Christ is the head of the church. We talked about the idea that we are a body working in synergy. And we have the ability to decide whether we are going to live in sin or live in synergy, whether we are going to follow Christ and his lead or we're going to do our own thing. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We should willingly and graciously follow his desire. 
we really do get the option to determine who you're going to follow. God doesn't demand it of you. God doesn't turn us into robots and make you do it. You just you have to decide. You decide whether you're going to follow him, be obedient to him, submit to him, to his will. You've got the freedom freedom to choose. To do what God wants. You know, I'm not really a hard taskmaster. I don't, I don't demand very much of the staff. I, I really, I ask for things. I strive to be gracious in my request. Would you be willing to do this? I know technically that I'm in charge. And technically I could look at them and say, get this done. But you see, I want them to want to do it. If not for me, for the Lord. For whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. And I would hope that they would have a passion or desire just to accomplish what needs to be done for the work of the Lord, whatever that might be. I was taught as a young man when I was an assistant pastor myself, even then, I was asking older men that would come and visit. I would ask them questions. I would say, well, say, how can I be a better assistant? How can I fulfill the role that I'm supposed to? One, one man who had been in the ministry for many, many years, I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, Caleb, you want to be the best assistant you can be? Your pastor's wish is your command. He said, you remember that. Your pastor's wish is your command. I know he can demand of you, but a true servant wants to fulfill even the wish. And I wonder why so many Christians today are fighting against God instead of just wanting to fulfill his wish. Why? God is very clear on many, many things, but we've got so many Christians instead of willing and desiring to submit to God's will, they're trying to find any way they can to skip God's will. But you see, if we're going to have a strong church, we need people that are ready and willing and looking to submit to God's will, whatever that might be. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Let thine will be done. Not my will, but thine, Lord. A strong church is one that's made up of members that are submitted to the king. Lastly, this evening, we see that a strong church is spotless. You guys had to know we were getting here. You know what the church is. The church is the bride of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, he said, Would to God you could bear with me a little in folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The bride of Christ. The bride is to remain pure. The bride is to remain spotless. 
It really is a very sad thing that's taking place in American churches today. And I don't, rather, Armacost was talking about how American culture drifted across to other, especially the world is so small today. You see it almost everywhere you go, American culture impacting other societies. But can I tell you, it surely impacted the church. The church is to be spotless. The church is to be pure. It is to be clean. Christ is preparing his bride. Ephesians 5, 25 through 29 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Beloved, the Lord wants a spotless church. Boy, what are, what are we doing if we're, if we're allowing the world in? What are we doing to the church? I mean, what kind of a, of a husband wants his bride to be used up and wasted? No. You know, it's really a sad thing that's taking place in society today, even because the, the purity and the innocence of the young is being stolen from them. People are coming. That, that is very, very rare today that a man and a woman would come to the marriage altar pure and clean that precious gift that they could give to one another has been used up already. But boy, we can't do that for the Lord. His church is to remain spotless. We are to be clean. The day is going to come when the church is going to be presented to him. In Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9, he says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters... And as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Are you getting ready? You're the church. As individuals, we make up the church. We're going to have a church that's spotless. We're not just talking about keeping the spots out of the carpet and the walls painted and looking good. We ought to do what we can to fix up the property for, for the glory of God. But we're talking about lives that are clean. Arrayed in fine linen. That fine linen is what? The righteousness of the saints. Living right lives. Striving to be spotless so that the day, and it, it can't be long now. You guys look at the world, it can't be long until the Lord comes back. There's many things that some year, not too many years ago, you kind of wondered, like, how is that going to happen? How is the whole world going to see this at one time? Oh, no question now. It's pretty easy. How are they going to track everybody? No question now, they're already tracking you. 
How are they going to make it where you cannot buy or sell? We're there, friend. Can't be long. But I wonder, when the Lord calls us home, are we going to be presented a spotless bride? Pure and clean. It's got to be a priority of our life. It's got to be a focus. Something that we're doing on purpose. There are many things that are not to be part of a Christian's life. Ephesians 5, 3 through 5 says, But fornication and uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as become the saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor gesturing, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Love, we got to keep ourselves spotless. Amen. Living right. Beloved, the strength of a church is not seen in its majestic buildings. It is not seen in the magnitude of its programs or the magnificence of its organization. These are just tools and some necessary. But the strength of a church is seen in a group of people that are working together in synergy. That are sincere in their faith and their love that are willing to sacrifice for the God who sacrificed for them, who gladly submit to their Heavenly Father and who are doing all they can to be spotless until the day as a church were submitted or were presented to Him.